3: where there's a will, there might not always be a way. As the Court of Appeal overturns a parent's decision to cut a child out of her will, we ask what implications the case has for those leaving a legacy behind to their families. Plus, we examine some unusual alternative investments that investors are increasingly turning to in the search for income, and look into the alarming ways that some British holidaymakers who book accommodation online are being swindled out of thousands of pounds. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues Judith Evans and James Pickford, plus our special studio guest Andrew Wilkinson, partner at the law firm Shakespeare Martineau. This week, a judgement over a disputed will by the Court of Appeal reminded those of us hoping to leave behind a legacy that our dying wishes may not be the last word. This case concerned a woman in her 50s who'd been estranged from her late mother and subsequently cut out of her will. Although she was her only child, her mother left nearly half a million pounds to three large animal charities instead, a decision that the Court of Appeal overturned this week, awarding the daughter around a third of the estate so she could buy the house she lived in. I'm joined in the FT studio by Andrew Wilkinson, partner at the law firm Shakespeare Martineau, who specialises in disputed wills and probate. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today. Now, for those listeners who haven't heard of this case, could you summarise why the Court of Appeal made this unusual judgment?
2: So this case, I think, confirms the position as has been the law for a while, which is that essentially it's not as simple as just assuming that if you, can make, you can make a will leaving your assets to whoever you want this is a, a, essentially prevents you from doing that in certain circumstances. And in certain circumstances, the court will intervene where they consider that reasonable provision has not been made for a certain category of person. Now, that category can can be a variety of different people. Obviously, in this case, it was an adult child. Mm-hmm. But similarly, it does apply to cases of cohabitees um, and other people who might be maintained by someone who's passed away. Historically, these sorts of claims... We were often brought by minor children and in circumstances which are sort of fairly easy to understand, where they've been left, you know, parents perhaps died prematurely and they haven't, by operation of the law or otherwise, haven't been left anything under their will. This was a different case, obviously. She was an adult beneficiary. She was in her 50s, as Claire has said. The key is that this, does, this case isn't going to open the floodgates to lots of claims by adult children. These cases are very limited on their facts, and also adult children can only bring claims generally where they're in a financial need.
3: And in this case, um, the woman had to prove to the court that she had a very low income, yeah. she had no pension, she didn't own her own house, and she was reliant on benefits to fund her lifestyle, which is one of the major reasons why yeah. she was awarded. And the absolutely, money.
2: And I think if she'd been in, you know, if she'd been much younger you know in the 20s 30s and had you know had career prospects ahead of her i think it would have been a different a different situation
3: now nevertheless you've noticed that the 1975 inheritance act which um, is what brought about this claim is increasingly being used by adult children now while it's relatively rare perhaps for a child to be cut out of a will lawyers that i've spoken to this week say that they're finding it's much more common for one child to be favored over another for various reasons and this can also lead to a claim um, theoretically being brought under the same act, so give me some examples of how those kinds of disputes could
2: happen This was obviously a fairly stark example where everything had been left to charity to the exclusion of of, of the daughter and of course, lots of cases aren 't as stark as that there's you know there 's lots of competing interests and you know some some of the estate might be left to someone and and the rest some of the estate might be left to someone else you know in terms of sort of typical cases where these situations arise common themes that i've spotted the increasing rise of second families there's lots of disputes between for example children from a first marriage and um you know second or third type uh, spouses um where there's a sort of discrepancy in earnings so where certain children have been favored over over others for perhaps perfectly legit, legitimate reasons because one where... may,
3: one may be a nurse one may be an investment banker yeah. so you want to leave more yeah money exactly exactly
2: earner. and i and i think it's the timing of these is always difficult and they're often not about what they're about. They become the focus of a lot of family aggravation and dispute that's kind of built up over years. You know, this case, it's very fact-specific and it does turn on its facts, but that said, I think the ongoing publicity that this this case and similar ones will generate, I think is only will only mean that these sorts of claims become more common. Um, people know about them, people are getting more litigious. But I also think there's a sort of external factor, which is um, in terms of people planning for their future or not planning and the effect that the recession has had on that. I've seen a a rise over the last few years of people becoming expectant, relying on inheritances. And it means that when they don't happen, they, they fight for them.
3: Well, in fact, you could say that while only a handful of these disputes might end up in court, the rise in people prepared to kick off that you're that you're seeing is showing us that more and more young people are reliant on the fortunes of the baby boomer generation. Who, let's not forget, have enjoyed final salary pensions, um, an unending um, rise in house prices. Um, it may seem, and all kinds of favourable government policies, which has enhanced their wealth at the same times when the younger generation is seeing their wealth um, diminished by, um, you know, having to pay for. University fees, um, less generous yeah. pensions, etc., etc. So the inheritance is really becoming a battleground of the future. From what, and of course, saying.
2: it's it's all sort of it, it all creates its own expectation because the, the sort of reliance on parents and for you know deposits on houses and and all the other support that people get as they are sort of going through life. I think that's kind of only serves to fuel the expectation and reliance on that inheritance at the end of the day. Now, in your job, you're advising families, often in difficult circumstances, um, who
3: are planning on leaving a legacy or who are fighting over one um, at the end. Um, from the benefit of your professional experience, how um, can our listeners and readers Guard against their families fighting over a legacy in future what should they be doing
2: the obvious one and i think it's it's overlooked far too often is just talking to your family about what you're going to do and having these sorts of open conversations about this is the estate this is what i want to do about it and involve them in the process i see far too many cases where these things come as a huge surprise Mm. and almost it's the surprise that causes as much harm as anything else Ideally, do it at the time when you're making the will, but if that's not possible, and I appreciate that sometimes that's not possible for various reasons, write a letter explaining what you've done and why you've done it, just so people have a better understanding as to why you've done it and the reasons for it. Of course, these things can be something of a double-edged sword, there's always a risk that, of course, they they sort of benchmark an expectation and that the mere fact that you've mentioned not providing for someone might imply that there's some obligation on you to do so. So there can be a bit of a double-edged sword, but I think most of the time explaining to people why you've done it and, and what you've done, I think is helpful. And
3: while you're still alive, absolutely, <laughs> would be
2: preferable. Well, thank absolutely. you
3: very much, Andrew, um, for, for joining us and for the benefit of your advice there. Still to come on the FT Money Show, if you're about to jet off on holiday before you set off into the sunset, listen to the scams that some unlucky holidaymakers who booked their accommodation online have unfortunately fallen victim to. Before that, this week's FT Money cover feature examines the lure of alternative investments that investors are increasingly turning to in the search for income. I'm joined in the studio by FT Money reporter Judith Evans, who's been investigating the pros and cons of an array of weird and wonderful asset classes. So Judith, you're telling us in FT Money this week that retail investors now have hurricane insurance and caravan parks in their investment portfolios? How on earth has this happened? Well, that's right.
0: Within a lot of ready-made portfolios that people buy, whether that's in the form of a multi-manager fund or a wealth manager's portfolio or something similar, there increasingly will be so-called alternatives. That's a bit of a catch-all, but it generally refers to asset classes that are not straight-up equities, bonds or property and that often offer a higher yield than you can get from equities or bonds at the moment and that's really the key investors are desperate for income and with interest rates low and bond yields low
3: fund managers are really looking a bit further afield in the search now other than hurricane insurance and caravan parks what other alternatives have you looked into this week
0: Well there are a few of them. A big one recently has been peer-to-peer lending. That's existed for about 10 years but you've been able to buy it in the form of an investment trust for the past year and that's really led a lot of multi-asset fund managers and equity fund managers to put money into it another one is renewable energy that's another sector which has really ballooned over the past two years or so we're not sure right now where that's going given that the government seems to have changed its mind a bit about green subsidies but it's certainly done well for investors over those
3: two years And um, aircraft leasing, I understand, is another area that fund managers are looking at.
0: That's another one, yes. Um, There are these funds which buy aircraft and then rent them out to airlines. Um, That obviously generates a steady rental income, but there are risks, including are the planes valued correctly and is the airline credit worthy? Having had the example recently of Malaysian Airlines, that's a bit of a cautionary tale on many levels.
3: So obviously the risks are, are higher, but what kind of returns are potentially on offer to investors and funds? Well, it
0: varies by the asset class, but um, peer-to-peer global investments, one of the really popular trusts, is targeting a yield of 6 to 8%. Some of these asset classes offer
3: even higher yields. Wow. So it sounds very tempting, but should self-directed investors be buying into these trends? No, they should not. These
0: are asset classes which uh, multi-managers and the rest have been investigating closely but most retail investors don't have the capacity to do that and in fact there have been a number of scandals relating to direct sales of asset classes that really aren't suitable for you and me to be buying on our own for example student accommodation or life settlements which are the life insurance policies of US pensioners The so-called death bonds That's right, so this really is a case of leave it to the experts I think
3: So if investors are looking to gain access to these higher yielding alternatives via a fund, then there's less of a risk. That's right. If you buy, for example, a multi-asset fund...
0: It depends on the type, but it may well have an alternatives allocation, and that will likely be limited by various regulations, so you can be confident that your fund managers will not go overboard in buying crazy asset classes.
3: Well, as always, the lesson is look at the small print. Um, But thank you very much. That was Judith Evans, and you can read much more about her assessment of various different alternatives in this week's edition of FT Money. Before our final item, a reminder that you can read this week's FT Money as part of the Weekend FT, which is widely available on both Saturday and Sunday, or read us online at ft.com money and follow us on Twitter at FT Money. Now for our final item, the rise of online accommodation booking means more and more of us are turning to the internet when we book accommodation to go on holiday abroad. However, there's been a corresponding rise in the number of scams affecting holidaymakers who've chosen this way of booking a holiday. I'm joined by James Pickford, the deputy editor of FT Money, who's been looking into the various scams which are going around at the moment. James, welcome to the show. Um, first of all, can you start by telling us how do these scams work? Are there different types?
1: There are. I mean, it's, it's really the, the, the most horrendous uh, scenario where you, uh, you let's say you've had a very long journey with your family and the the kids are tired and fractious. It's, be there, uh, it's hot. Uh, <laughs> you arrive at your, your dream villa and only to find that uh, some other family has booked it. They're already there. No one's heard of you. And uh, you've paid for a holiday that essentially doesn't exist. And this um, comes about because fraudsters... Are um, at the point of booking, are able somehow to intercept uh, emails that you might be sending to the owner and essentially pose as that owner and redirect these emails to them and then ask for payments which go to uh, their bank accounts and then obviously they vanish. But there are other little variants on it. Um, They can construct completely sort of fictitious um, websites um, advertising villas. They can try and list fake villas or homes... um, On some of the big sites, although the big sites are are pretty vigilant about this, but, Mm. um, you know, they, they, they do try and do that and therefore get your money that way. And of course, uh, quite apart from that, if you get into a, a sort of communication with, with a villa owner who turns out not to be a villa owner, they can simply try and get your payment details and and do just as you would with any other sort of communication. They might try and use those details to get into your bank account. And last year, Abter, the and the City of London Police said that, that there was £2.2 million worth of uh, this kind of fraud um in the UK and
3: that's presumably just the, the fraud that's been reported to them. But it's not always the holiday maker who ends up getting scammed. It can actually be the owners of the villa who lose out as well, you found.
1: You're quite right. There's, it's very unusual, this, but um, an owner might uh, get into hot water where they're approached by someone who says, yes, a wonderful villa, I'd love to book it for, for two or three weeks and sometimes longer, and you think, that's great, I've got four weeks booked out. And then the story goes that um, they did originally have another booking with another, um, another owner of a, of, a, of a holiday home. There was some sort of catastrophe, the flood, a flood or, a, or the roof fell in. And, and therefore, the, the, that owner, having taken their money, is, is, is going to have to refund them. But of course, the other place, they say, was much more expensive. So that cost £5,000 compared to your, your £3,000 charge. They say, well, very simple. Why don't I get the other owner to send you a cheque? Um, you receive that, bank the cheque, and then, you know, by bank transfer, you can, um, you can give me the difference. Yeah. And there, there we go. All very simple. Of course, that happens. The cheque arrives uh, from the supposed um, other owner. You put it in the bank. It appears to go in, as, as many foreign cheques will. They appear to, to, to deposit perfectly safely. You then transfer your money. But then the cheque bounces which can happen, and uh, and suddenly uh, this person has vanished. So, so that's another variant.
3: Well, what can you do to stop yourself from being scammed? Is the obvious question to ask. Well,
1: there are there are warning signs. Um, there are precautions you can take if you're looking at a website and you see, and you're, particularly if you're making a payment, but any sort of secure transaction, you should be. Uh, there should be on the web address um, HTTPS as yes, the beginning of a secure thing. Crucial and S. Any little any little variance in the way in the spelling of the the website or that sort of thing uh, might suggest you know that that's a big alarm bell for someone trying to fake a website you can also take a look when you're looking at um, at holiday homes or villas or whatever. You should have a look for reviews. If there aren't very many of them, if mm. there's only one or two reviews, it suggests there might be something up. Particularly if that doesn't correlate with the amount of length of time that the thing has been advertised. If the, uh, advertised, re- if you the know.
3: reviews are quite scant in what well, they're the saying, the reviews
1: are very scant. Yes, and you can also use payment systems um, that the companies running these these um, home websites, home rental websites, provide all credit cards you know with bank transfer or cash there's absolutely no recourse really, mm. if you make the mistake and then of course if you are booking a you know a, a six bedroom villa in Ibiza um, for two weeks and, and this was being offered to you at uh, £500 pounds, then maybe you should think twice because that is just too cheap you know The other thing, of course, is to not engage in email communication with with people where they're trying to tempt you off grid, as it were. So if you're going through one of the reputable sites, they will have their own messaging communication Mm. system. If someone says, actually, let's do this off the grid. Treat that uh, with extreme caution.
3: That should be a big warning sign. Well, as ever, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. But thank you very much, there, James Pickford, FT Money's deputy editor, and hopefully that will avoid you and your family ending up in a nightmare holiday scenario this summer. Now, before you jet off, we'd love to know what you think about alternative investments, the perils of will writing, or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch with us via email. Our address is money at ft.com, or you can tweet us at ftmoney. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual. Articles on our website at ft.com slash money there's just time to tell you what else is in this weekend's edition if you work for a blue chip company we'll be looking into the array of footsie share save schemes that are maturing this month and whether you should invest as an employee and as usual we have share tips from our sister publication the investors chronicle and the latest directors deals the ft money show will be back next week but for now it's goodbye from me jesus james and our special studio guest andrew wilkinson
2: For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.
3: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com/style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com/style
1: This is the story of the wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding.